Hey everyone, um, today's Bible reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not, lo- we do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, plainly we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The, the God of this age has blinded the minds of, our, of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, may this light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thank you so much, Tong, for reading that to us. I wonder if you came across this little piece of news a few weeks ago. Um, Time magazine announced their Person of the Year, and this is an award that's been going for the last 96 years, and it's given to the person who has influenced the world the most over the past year. And previous recipients have included American presidents, Queen Elizabeth, Elon Musk, and Mark Zuckerberg. And does anyone know who was awarded that this year? Yell it out. Taylor Swift, that's right. (laughs) You might think Taylor Swift is a good choice. Um, Maybe she put your life on hold when tickets came on sale earlier this year. But I think it's especially interesting why Taylor was chosen. Uh, Sam Jacobs, magazine's chief editor, said uh, this is why she was chosen. He said, Swift was bringing light into the world. 
Swift was bringing light into the world. But if bringing light into the world was the selection criteria, then we really have another candidate to consider, don't we? Someone whose ability to bring light into the world remains unrivaled. In fact, we can't even compare him with Taylor Swift. John introduces him at the start of his gospel as the true light that gives light to everyone. He himself refers to himself as, I am the true light of the world. And the Apostle Paul says that his gospel message is powerful to shine light, not just into the world, but deep into dark hearts. Jesus, light of the world. But whether you care or not about Taylor Swift, I think our magazine editor friend does have a helpful assumption to make, and it's this that things aren't right with the world, our default is to live in darkness, and we need light. And this year, our Advent theme is simply that, God's solution to this darkness. God's initiative to shine light into darkness. Jesus, light of the world. And so that's going to be our focus in 2 Corinthians 4 this evening, the gospel of true light. And we're really just going to look at the first six verses. They're, they're full of wonderful things and a great reminder to us as we get ready for Christmas. Firstly, we'll see that this is a battle between what I'm calling the ministry of light and the ministry of darkness. And then... What this means for us now as people who have been entrusted with this ministry of light, that is the spoken message, the proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord. The ministry of light versus darkness. There are in fact two ministries at play in verses 1 to 6 and in our world. They're distinct ministries, they're opposing ministries... It's the ministry of light, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The ministry of light. And then there's the ministry of darkness, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. The ministry of light is led by God, the eternal God, who created all things, who in Genesis 1 said, let light shine out of darkness, who spoke light into being by the power of his word. The ministry of darkness is led by the God of this age, Satan. Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. His power is temporary, confined to this age. His ministry is blindness, but his power is genuine. We need to remember that he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Verse 6, the ministry of light. Verse 4, the ministry of darkness. 
And if we read through the previous chapter, chapter 3, we'd see how Paul understands this ministry of light and what it achieves. And it doesn't hurt to remind ourselves of this. In fact, we keep needing to remind ourselves of this. We forget all too quickly. This is a ministry of new creation. Chapter 3, verse 6. It's a ministry of righteousness. Chapter 3, verse 9. And it's a ministry of transformation. 3, verse 18. It's a glorious ministry. And it's accomplished through God's word. It's a ministry of new creation. Whenever God speaks, the result is light. And that's what happens in Genesis 1. God speaks and the result is light. Let light shine out of darkness. God speaks and there was light. And still, whenever God speaks, the result is light. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. Verse 130, your, the unfolding of your words gives light. And as God's word created light and life in the beginning, so now God's word is still creating. As the message of his son brings light and life into darkened hearts. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. Paul says that in chapter three, the old covenant brought death, but the new covenant brings life. Chapter three, verse six, for the letter kills, that is the old covenant, but the Spirit gives life. As people hear the word about Christ, God the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of unbelievers and applies the power of Jesus' resurrection, and the result is life. New creation. Light out of darkness. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. What a glorious ministry. The Spirit gives life, new creation. It's also a ministry of righteousness. Chapter 3, verse 9, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? This ministry is so glorious because instead of condemnation, which our sin deserves, it brings righteousness. It sets things right between God and us. To be declared righteous is to be in the right. And so it is that on the cross, the punishment that our sin deserves is transferred onto Jesus. He takes it all. Our record of sin is wiped clean. And now God sees us as perfect. We are no longer in the wrong with God, but in the right. How glorious is this ministry that brings righteousness? It's a ministry of new creation, new life because of the power of Jesus' resurrection. It's a ministry of righteousness, the right relationship with God because of Jesus' death on the cross. 
And finally, it's a ministry of transformation. Chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. It's a ministry of transformation. As the veil is removed and our darkened hearts are dispelled, we can now gaze at the glory of Christ. And as we look at Christ, God's power is at work within us to transform us into his image. What a glorious ministry. New creation, righteousness, transformation, as God switches the light on in our hearts. It's like when you get home late and it's dark and you're fumbling around with your keys trying to find the right one, let alone put it in the lock the right way up, and then suddenly your housemate switches on the phone torch. And suddenly before, when you were fumbling around, dropping the keys on the ground, and it was hopeless, now you can see clearly. And the contrast is this dramatic. It's like God switches the phone light on in our hearts. This is the ministry of light. This is God's ministry. It's a glorious ministry. It's the ministry of light, and it comes through the word about Jesus. It's irresistible, isn't it? Who wouldn't want to receive this ministry of light? But many don't want to receive it. Many can't see God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And Paul reminds us that this shouldn't be a surprise because there's another ministry at work, a competing ministry the ministry of darkness. Verse four, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Satan's mission is to blind people, to put a pillowcase over their heads, to blind them to the light of the gospel, to prevent them from seeing God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Why is it that you are able to see the light of the gospel, but your friend at uni isn't? Satan's at work. Why is it that my colleagues at work can't see the light of the gospel, but I can? Why is that? Satan's at work. We don't live in a neutral world we live within a battle, a battle between light and darkness, but it's not a fair contest. There is one side which is more powerful, and John reminds us of this in the introduction to his message about Jesus. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I wonder if you notice the flow of logic between verse four and six. What is the bridge between this ministry of darkness and the ministry of light? 
it's verse 5, the preaching of Jesus Christ as Lord. Verse 5, for what we preach to you is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. This is the way God chooses to bring this ministry of light into darkened hearts, through the message of Jesus. He doesn't have to do it this way through us, but in his mercy and kindness, he entrusts this message to us. The spoken word that Jesus is Lord. This glorious ministry of light. The ministry of light which brings about new creation, righteousness and transformation. So, having been entrusted with this ministry, how do we go about doing it? Well, Paul gives us three things we do not do. Three we do not statements. I wonder if you noticed them as the passage was read. The first one there in verse 1, then verse 2, and in verse 5. Verse 1, we do not lose heart. Verse 2, we do not use deception nor do we distort the word of God. And verse 5, we do not preach ourselves. Verse 1, therefore having this ministry, we do not lose heart. Therefore, since we have through God's mercy this ministry, we do not lose heart. We've already spent some time refreshing ourselves of what this ministry is. It's the ministry of true light. It's a glorious ministry and a powerful ministry. And therefore, being entrusted with this ministry, Paul does not lose heart. I don't think Paul's referring to losing heart with regard to his faith, but losing heart in his efforts to continue proclaiming the gospel. He's not tempted to crash on the sidelines, he's not thinking of quitting. He's determined to press on because of this ministry. When I ride my bike home from church, I can't tell you how tempting it is to lose heart. This little elevation shows my journey home from church on my bike. You can see the first 80% is basically flat, and then you suddenly arrive at what feels like stage five of the Tour de France, an impossibly steep stretch of winding pathway with no end in sight. I usually start well, but pretty soon the temptation to lose heart feels all too real and I just want to topple over and play dead fish. And we might expect Paul to feel the same way about his ministry, especially to the Corinthians. They've had a troublesome and trying relationship, tempted to crash on the sidelines thinking of taking early retirement to lose heart and tap out early. Look how Paul describes himself and those who labour in the gospel alongside him. Fragile pottery, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Do you feel like this sometimes? Weak, 
frail. It feels hard speaking about Jesus. It feels costly. It feels unsuccessful. Perplexing when people love darkness instead of light. Did you know this is the normal experience for the messenger of the gospel? Things aren't wrong if you feel this way. This is exactly how Paul felt. But despite this, Paul doesn't lose heart. He presses on because he knows there's nothing impressive about himself, but rather he knows the value of the gospel treasure entrusted to him. On my ride home, I have to rely on how much lunch I ate. But Paul can rely on the light of the gospel. He's experienced it for himself. The light of the gospel has shone into his heart. He's now unblinded to the glory of Christ. And if you're a Christian, the same has happened for you. The light of the gospel has shone into your hearts. The veil has been taken away. And we can now gaze on God's glory in the face of Christ. And since God has done this for us, we trust that he can do it for others. So don't lose heart. Don't give up speaking about Jesus. We have this treasure in jars of clay. So that's the first we do not. We do not lose heart because we have this ministry, the ministry of light. Now, the second we do not, verse 2, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. We do not use deception, nor distort the word of God. There are some in Corinth, which Paul calls in chapter 11, super apostles. And for these super apostles, deception and distortion appears to be their forte, their secret weapon, manipulation, twisting the message, adding or subtracting, putting bait on the hook. And at the end of the day, it's a damning appraisal of their ministry. Chapter 11, verse 4, they are preaching a different gospel, a different Jesus, and a different spirit. Oh, don't be fooled. They're, they're preaching Jesus, but it's a different Jesus. They're preaching what sounds a bit like the gospel, but it's a different gospel. They're speaking a lot about the spirit, but it's not the spirit. It, this is a shameful ministry. Paul describes it as a disgraceful ministry. And Paul is in no doubt that this is not a ministry of light, but a ministry of darkness. It's darkness in disguise. Satan's servants masquerading as servants of righteousness. Chapter 11, verse 5 says, their end will be what their actions deserve. The gospel message is complete. It's perfect it's true, it's powerful, it's God's masterpiece to save his people. Don't tamper with it. 
My grandparents have this painting in their house, and it's of these three horses drinking from a water trough. It's quite beautiful, I think, but actually it's not as the artist intended it to be. It's been tampered with. It's subtle, but it's been distorted. Another member of my family decided that the horses needed a little bit of water dribbling out of their mouths. And so she got her paintbrush out and added a little dribble here and there. And while she was at it, she thought that it needed a little dribble from the water pipe as well. I wonder what the artist would have thought. The gospel is God's masterpiece. Don't distort God's masterpiece. Deception and distortion of the word of God wasn't just a problem in Corinth. It's all too prevalent today. We see this in the health and wealth gospel, don't we? Promises for the new creation, overpromised now instead. We see this in the liberal gospel, which loves to preach Jesus in the manger, but erases Jesus on the cross and paints over sin. We see this in cult groups, which are so active on the university campus at the moment, who are preaching a different gospel and a different Jesus. Distortion of the gospel is not loving. It's not a way to win people for Christ. It's not true light. It's darkness in disguise. And Paul says their end will be what their actions deserve. Now, I've framed this in the negative because that's the way Paul gives it to us, but then he gives us the positive contrast, his pattern of ministry. It's not by deceiving people or distorting God's word, but verse 2, on the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In the plain sight of God, we don't deceive people. We don't manipulate people. We don't pressure people. We don't hold out false promises. We don't leave out the hard bits. We don't sugarcoat the message. We don't bully or bulldoze to get people to have the outcomes we'd like. It's not results at all cost. The ends never justify the means. Instead, we set forth the truth plainly. Clear, simple, honest proclamation of the truth in the sight of God. This is where God's power lies to shine light in people's hearts. This is the method by which the Spirit removes the veil and switches on the light. And maybe this is just the reminder we need at this time of year as we talk to friends at Christmas. Maybe we lead on a beach mission. Don't be tempted to distort the message. Speak the truth clearly and simply with love. Follow Paul's example. And finally, it's because we've been entrusted with this ministry, the gospel of true light, that we come to verse 5. We do not 
preach ourselves. Verse 5, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. At the heart of the gospel message is not Paul, it's not me, it's not you, how shocking. It's Jesus. Jesus as Lord. It's God's glory revealed in Jesus. It's the message of Jesus, light of the world. Not James, light of the world. Instead, what are we? Jars of clay. Weak and fragile vessels of this gospel treasure. Jesus deserves centre stage, not a jar of clay. And I think we still see this as such a problem today. There are many preachers of the gospel who appear all too happy to take the attention for themselves. Celebrity pastors who act as though they deserve the seat of honour in God's kingdom. People whose pride draws attention away from Christ and to themselves. I sometimes wonder why people name Christian ministries after themselves. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And it's in our churches too, people who care more about preaching a good sermon so people will like them, rather than helping people to set their eyes upon Christ. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And what happens when we put the focus on Christ as we gaze at his glory? When we point people to Christ instead of ourselves, chapter 3, verse 18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. It's as we keep gazing upon the glory of Jesus, we're transformed into his image, not the image of the messenger. Maybe you've had this experience when you've said something and then you think, oh my goodness, I sound just like my mum. One of my friends likes to use the word dope when she describes something that she thinks is great. And I can assure you, dope is not in my vocabulary. But... One day to my horror, I found the word dope coming out of my mouth. <laughs> we become like those we look to, don't we? Our aim is not that people would be transformed into our image. It's that people would be transformed into the image of Christ as we look at him. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And this is our invitation to the world, especially at Christmas time. Come out of darkness into light. Come and see. Come and see God's glory revealed in the face of Jesus. Come and see God's glory in the manger as God humbles himself and puts on human flesh. Come and see God's glory as he dies on the cross for your sin. Come and see his glory as he's raised from the dead. Come and see his glory as he sits enthroned in heaven, 
while we await his return. By this message, God switches the light on in people's hearts. You've probably heard that silly song playing in the supermarkets, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. We don't need a hippopotamus for Christmas. We need light. We have been given this ministry. It's a ministry of true light. And as it's proclaimed, God brings light into this world. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in sending your Son, Jesus, you have brought light into this world. He is true light. We thank you for entrusting us, weak, fragile jars of clay, with this treasure. We pray that we would be faithful in proclaiming him as Lord. Please help us this Christmas as we talk about him. Please switch on the light in people's hearts so that they may gaze on your glory displayed in the face of Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.